Thank you. Hey, uh, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm not starting yet. Uh, you know, this is uh, tomorrow's Veterans Day, and we're just so grateful, not just for the freedom that we have in Christ, but for the freedom that has been bought by many of you. And so uh, I've asked uh, Steve Benefield, uh, a f who is becoming a, a good friend of mine and uh, a fellow Sunridgean, uh, also um, a chaplain in the United States Navy, to come and talk to us and pray for our veterans. Would you give uh, Steve Benefield a warm Sunridge welcome? Thank you, Steve. Hey, good morning, Sunridge. So there was an airman, sailor, marine, and soldier, and they were arguing about which branch of service is best. <laughs> oh, marines. Yeah. Happy belated birthday, by the way, marines. <laughs> they celebrated their 243rd birthday yesterday. Rah. Well, they began arguing about which branch of service is best. Well, the argument becomes so heated that they failed to see an oncoming truck. They're struck and they're killed instantly. Immediately, they're ushered into, the, into heaven, and there they're standing before the pearly gates, and they meet St. Peter. Well, they ask St. Peter, St. Peter, can you please settle an argument for us? While we were down there on earth, we were arguing about which branch of service is best. And St. Peter said, you know, fellas, I can't uh, answer that question. It's too difficult. We need to kick that one up to God. Meanwhile, gentlemen, welcome to heaven enjoy your stay. Well, a couple weeks later, they're walking the streets of gold, and they run into St. Peter, and they say, St. Peter, have you found the answer yet? Which branch of service is best? He said, you know, I haven't heard from God on that one. He said, I'll go find out. And just as Peter says that, a dove comes flying out of the air, and in that dove's mouth is an envelope. And he said, there it is, fellas. That must be the answer that we've been waiting for. So he opens the envelope and reads this. Memorandum from the desk of the Almighty to all soldiers, airmen, sailors, and marines. Subject, which branch of service is best? All branches of the United States Armed Forces are honorable and noble. Each serves America well with distinction. Serving in the United States military represents a great honor warranting special respect. Be proud of that, signed God, United States Navy, retired. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I, I do want to publicly thank Britt for allowing me to come up here and, and honor our veterans in this way. Thank you, Britt. And uh, we haven't been going to church here long. It's been about six months, as you said, in the first service. But, but we love it here. We love this church family. Charles Province, he's an author and also Army veteran, made the following statement. It's the soldier, not the minister, that gives us the freedom of religion. It's the soldier, not the reporter, that gives us the freedom of press. It's the soldier, not the poet, that gives us the freedom of speech. It's the soldier, not the campus organizer, that gives us the freedom to protest. It's the soldier not the lawyer who gives us the right to a fair trial. It's the soldier, not the politician, that gives us the right to vote. 
It's the soldier who salutes the flag, whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. It's the United States soldier. If you are here this morning and you have served or are currently serving in the United States military, would you please stand and let us recognize you this morning? He's all over. Thank you. Amen. Please remain standing for a moment. I'm going to ask if you are a family member of someone currently serving or who has served, would you please stand? We want to thank you for your service. Look around. The military is pretty well represented here. That's awesome. Okay, please be seated. Thank you for your service. You know, I used to... Uh, uh, to be a chaplain at Paris Island. The Marines know where Paris Island is, right? <laughs> if you're a United States Marine, you go to two places to receive basic training. You either go to MCRD San Diego or MCRD Paris Island. Well, me as a chaplain used to go in uh, the night before they stepped off on the crucible. The crucible is a culminating event uh, of their whole Marine Corps uh, recruit experience. It's a 72-hour event testing their uh, skills, their knowledge, their endurance. After 72 hours, they, they get their Eagle Globe and Anchor, and they are now able to be called a United States Marine. Well, before they step off on the crucible, I would go in and give them a pep talk. And I would say, you know, after you guys become United States Marines, people are going to always tell you, thank you for your service. And I told them, I said, you know, when I first entered the Navy, I didn't know how to respond to that. You know, people would thank me, and I would often say, thank you for saying that. Or if I wanted to be funny, I would say, thank you for paying your taxes. <laughs> but I finally figured out how to respond to that when people thank me for, the, for my service. And I, I began to say, it's my pleasure. Because it is an absolute pleasure to wear the uniform and to serve our nation. And I want to say, when you say that to veterans and when you say that to people that have been in, wore the uniform, it makes our day. So make sure you tell somebody tomorrow, thank you for your service. Let me pray for you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, in every generation, in every age, you call certain persons to be defenders and protectors of freedom. On this day, 11 November, we honor all veterans who rest in honor glory. We honor those veterans that continue to suffer from the wounds of war. And we honor the veterans that now enjoy the blessings of living in a land that's free. Lord, thank you for the noble sacrifice of these men and women. Thank you for the selfless sacrifice of their families. Help us to remember them. Help us to pray for them and help us to care for them. Lord, we thank you this morning for the gifts of life and liberty. May we as a nation continue to fight to keep these rights available for all mankind. And may you, Lord, continue to bless our great nation. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steve.
Thank you, Steve and uh, veterans and your families. I thought I'd be kind of comfortable today. Is that all right? You know, Jesus said uh, to his disciples in John 14, 12, that anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these. And, you know, this simple statement by Jesus has inspired this series that we're doing here at Sunridge uh, during the month of November called Greater Things. Greater Things is a collection of messages about, you know, uh, acknowledging the great challenges that we have in our time and yet moving toward God-inspired action. A few months ago, I asked many of you, like, what's the greatest thing you feel that you've ever accomplished? And you told me lots of different things. Some of you talked about, you know, giving birth to your children. Some talked about adopting children. Some of you told me that the greatest thing you've accomplished is you completed your college degree with kids at home. Some of you talked about the business that you started uh, from, you know, like your garage. You were just, you were everything in that business, and now it's grown to a place that it meets the needs of your family and more. One of you told me about how you had to take the bar exam at age 41 with your first child on the way. Some of you talked about uh, sticking with your marriage through tough times. And some of you told me about marriages that where you were abused and you feel your greatest accomplishment was to remove yourself and your children from that abuse. You guys have done incredible things. You have done a lot of great things. But anybody, any of you that have done something great, or maybe you're running through the Rolodex right now in your mind of all the awesome things that you've done, you know. But one thing I can tell you for sure, and this is kind of like the main thought of my talk today, is that you will never achieve great things from the couch. Did you know that? There's something, though, in spite of knowing that, it's like there's a gravitational pull to this couch. It just wants to suck you down into it. We love it here. It's hard to get out of it once it gets a hold of you. What is it that's so wonderful about this couch that makes me reluctant to leave this comfy, cozy space? Well, obviously, it is comfortable. And even though this is an older couch we had in our office and it's all out of style now, and um, it's still really comfortable, I have to tell you. Uh, the couch is really convenient, too. It doesn't ask you to do anything. It doesn't have challenges. It, it doesn't uh, ask you to rearrange your schedule. It's very convenient to sit here on the couch. And it's safe, too. This is a very safe place. You could not get hurt lying or sitting on the couch, except for maybe bed sores and pooling of blood, you know. But it, it's a really safe place. So what in the world would ever want, make somebody want to get up off the couch? Why would ever want to leave? What, what would get me off of the couch? What could be compelling enough to make me want to pull away from its gravitational pull? Well, you know, last week when we started this series, Greater Things, we talked about how, 
in order to accomplish greater things, we're going to have to choose great. And part of choosing great is when we're faced with great challenges, we have to exercise great faith, great faith in God. Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do the things that I've, that I've done and will continue to do great things. But who is this God that we have faith in? You know, I've noticed, maybe, maybe you have too, it's like over time, we tend to shrink God. And we, we try to draw him down to, like to, to our level where we can understand him better. And we, we want to like squeeze him into becoming the safe God. Maybe a controllable God, but at least a tame God. A ho-hum God. If I can just get God down to where he and I agree on everything. You have to shrink God to be able to do that. And you know, that's not just something for Christians trying to live faith in 2018 in the Temecula Valley. Even prophets in the Old Testament tended to shrink God down. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about one of them here in the beginning of my message. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. We're going to be in Isaiah 6 at the, when we get started in the scripture here. I'm going to put those scriptures up on the screen so that you can follow along. But Isaiah was a prophet during a period in the southern kingdom of Israel, a king named Uzziah. And all the scholars tell us that they were very close. You know, a prophet at that time is the, the spiritual voice and conscience of the nation. And so Uzziah and Isaiah would be kind of married at the shoulders. Some scholars even believe that they were really good friends. And then Uzziah dies. And that experience for Isaiah obviously triggers something in him. And in Isaiah 6.1 Isaiah says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Picture this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices... The doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So it appears that because of the death of this close friend, something happens in Isaiah. He has a dream or a vision or some kind of epiphany about how big God is. Now keep in mind that Isaiah is familiar with worship practices. He leads the nation uh, spiritually, he knows all the rituals, he performs them, he likely oversees them. He's daily or regularly in the Holy Scriptures, he's familiar with prayer and conducting worship services, but this day, this moment is different in his life. Can you just like transport yourself to that scene? Even though like you've been walking with God maybe for many, many years, and yet something happens here that shakes him up, and he finds himself in his vision or his dream to be surrounded by these angelic beings who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and it shakes the building for a guy that 
is involved in religious activities regularly like Isaiah. This, this one is different. And in verse 5, he says, Woe to me. I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Something about this experience for Isaiah is personal. It goes beyond a worshipful moment, and it becomes personal. And in that personal moment, he sees his own unworthiness in contrast with the majesty of God. He calls him the Lord Almighty. He sees God in a fresh new way. Not not a little God, not a controllable God, not a tame God, but a God who shakes the room and shakes Isaiah's heart. Not a God who can do stuff for him, but a God who is something beyond what he had ever experienced before. You know, it doesn't have to be a tragedy. It doesn't have to be an emotional experience. Likely it will be. But we all need that moment if we're going to get off the couch. This is the first thing in your notes. What will get me off the couch? A renewed vision of God, the Lord Almighty. Not a comfortable God. The Lord Almighty. You know, we all need an occasional aha with God. I think about Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years. He, he sees the miracles. He, he's with Jesus. He knows his heart. And yet, after the resurrection, he has an epiphany. And when, when he finally understands who Jesus Christ is... He falls to his knees and he cries out, my Lord and my God. He had an aha moment. And I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but if it's very long at all, you probably need a renewed vision of God. I've had a few, and they're driven by different things. I remember when I went off to college, I didn't know a soul as I went from Miami to Colorado, and I was so lonely. And it was that loneliness that drew me closer to God. I, like, I began to be sensitive to what God was doing. And I got a bigger picture of God. And it's like I, was, like I was at my wit's end. I mean, I'm a 240 pounds middle linebacker, and I'm crying in my dorm because I'm so lonely. And that loneliness drew me toward God. And that new sensitivity, it, it, it called, it's like I started worshiping and singing out loud. The college gave athletes a campus job, and I would clean these rooms, and I'd be singing worship songs. That's not me, trust me. I'm doing that. I was even blessed at that time uh, by the Doobie Brothers song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. Like, that was one of my favorite worship songs. And you didn't even know the Doobes were Christians. It can come other ways. Maybe it has for you. It's like loneliness or failure, the birth of a child, 
a struggle in your marriage, reading the Bible, worship songs. I mean, of late, like, I've just been blown away. I've been, I've been having a God moment with Lauren Daigle. Do you know this name? Do you know who this is? He's still rolling stones? Come on. I look like I was rolling craps there. But, like, <laughs> God is still rolling stones. That song gets me. All of us need that aha moment. And if you're going to have, if you're going to accomplish greater things, you need a greater vision of a great God. Some of you have been like kind of just circling around Christianity. You need that moment. You need that breakthrough moment where your belief that there is a God goes to belief that you are my God and I need you. And you confess that need to Jesus Christ in a simple prayer. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you still need it. It's why the writer of Hebrews said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Some of us need to refocus on Jesus and the bigness of God. When, I, when this happens to Isaiah, it, it catalyzes something in him. And in verse 8, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And this is the second thing I think it takes to get us off the couch. A longing to be used by God. I have this renewed vision of the majesty of the almighty God. And when that happens, when it happened to Isaiah, he has this longing in him. The way it's phrased here, it's like, you know, who will go for us? It's almost like God was like going, come on, I need some stuff done. I have some work to do. And there was a bunch of uncommitted folks. And Isaiah steps forward. Says, I'll go. Pick me. Because I have a longing in me. After seeing the Lord Almighty, I want to be a part of what he's doing in the world today. When you don't have that, your response to who will go for us is like, they will go, send them. Right? Not, here I am, send me. When you have a fresh vision of God, you're no longer satisfied to just be a consumer of God. A consumer of God thinks these thoughts I see it, but thank God that's not my responsibility. Please don't ask me to do that. I see these needs, and I plan to call my pastor and my congressman to see what they plan to do about it. And God, please, please don't ever put me in that position around that person. Don't let them sit next to me. Don't let them come to my church or be my neighbor. That's a different response than, here I am. Send me. When you have a big vision of God, you have this longing inside you to be a part of what he's doing, and that lets you break through that, the saturation of it all and just 
turning on the news and seeing all the problems that are going on in the world or living in your house with all the problems that are going on there or in your job or in your career, the next new challenge is like, if you have a longing to be used by God, there's a breakthrough. And when God stirs your heart, you will long for something greater in your life. You can't just sit there any longer. You're not content to stand on the sidelines and just watch. You can't leave this broken relationship the way it is. You're not satisfied to just be touched by God and have some tears. And you're not willing to just pass the buck any longer, or worse, just complain about how things are. It's one of the things I love about Sunridge and what I see happening here. You know, we have this vision of deep in faith, bring hope, and live love, but it, like, that's just words on a paper, except I see people who are bringing hope in fresh and new ways. You know, last Sunday, I told you that like 300 Operation Christmas Child boxes disappeared here. You guys were left with scraps, 14. That's why you should come to the first service. I've been telling you that for a long time. You missed out. But I see people coming alive here, bringing hope, like in children's ministry and stepping into different roles. You know, there's a group here now. You know, we have a high school group, but you know, something that started grassroots level, it wasn't a thing that Britt wrote on a whiteboard and said, let's do this. It came out of the you. We, we've, God has given us a special place here to to do ministry in the lives of families with special needs children. And you know, there's a group of people said, you know, we got a high school group. We want to include kids that are in that age group with their own class, their high school group. And they started something called Thrive at Sunridge. You can follow them on Facebook. These are people that get together every other Wednesday and they hold a high school group for kids with special needs. How about that? They bring hope. Yeah, you can, you can clap at that. Yeah, but you know, it, there's like a, a ton of ways people are doing that here. And maybe you're not even doing it through your church, or maybe you're doing it through your church and in other ways, through your vocation. Many of you see the business that you're in, the job that you have, the role that you have, whether you're a mom, dad, employee, supervisor, whatever it is that you do, mostly during the day, like you see that as an extension of what God is doing in the world today. Good for you. You're bringing hope and you're longing to be used by God because you have a big vision of who God is. You know, your longing to be used by God will make it impossible for you to stay on the couch. But it's this next and last thing that I think really makes a difference. It's one thing to have a big vision of God. It's another thing to have a longing in your heart. <clears throat> but the next thing that will get you off the couch is this, a willingness to step beyond your comfort zone. A willingness to step beyond your comfort zone. And I don't know about you, but when I think about people who, in the Bible who step beyond their comfort zone, I always think about Peter. The apostle or disciple, Peter. And in Matthew 14, Jesus has been healing. Thousands are being fed, but things are also getting very serious. John the Baptist has been beheaded. 
And Jesus has just put the disciples in a boat and said, you guys go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to stay here and pray. And as he did so, the disciples were out on the lake and the storm came up. And in Matthew 14, 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Good thing to cry out then. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, I don't know about you, but from the time I became a Christian, I heard so many messages about like how just Peter just imploded here. Do you think that this is a failure on Peter's part? Because, because I don't. Because you have to remember the other 11, they're still in the boat. They're on the couch. Oh, they might... Maybe they got the other two. They're like, they knew Jesus. He's big. He can do anything. They saw him do the miracles. They have a longing to be a part of what he's doing. You know, um, they're following him. They're his disciples. But they're in the boat. Doesn't look to me like they were willing to step beyond their comfort zone. Do, do you do this? Like sometimes I, I look at the disciples and I go, which one is, am I most like? You know, which, how can I relate or identify with that person? And, you know, I'm totally, I don't know about what you think of me, but I can totally see me being that really quiet and loving John. You know, they laughed in the first service too. It hurts my feelings. I'm not one of them. But maybe you are, you're, some of you are just play it safe people. Don't rock the boat. And beyond even rocking the boat, don't ask me to get out of the boat. Don't even make me think about that. Others, you may love to dream about getting out of the boat even talking about getting out of the boat. You might even have advice for those that got out of the boat from your couch. (laughs) Armchair quarterback comes to mind. But you're not going to get out of the boat because it's scary. What What made Peter get out? Is he just more adventurous? Was he more impulsive? Yes. But he also wanted to be where Jesus was. Because when he began following Jesus, remember Jesus said, follow me. So he wanted to be wherever Jesus was. And Jesus at that time was out of the boat. And he also wanted to be wherever Jesus invited him to be. And Jesus said, come, come on out here. And Peter said, that's what I want to be with Jesus. And I want to be where he asked me to be. And he's out of the boat. So there he went. If you're looking to be a part of something greater, to do greater things, then you need a big vision for who God is. You need to to reignite or ignite for the first time that longing to be a part of what God is doing. 
But you've got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. And you know, pastors struggle with this. And I've been afraid to do some stuff. And I've just been feeling like a little bit like I'm in a rut. And so a few months ago, I got invited out of the boat, out of my comfort zone with World Vision. And they asked me to go with them to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,300 feet elevation. And then after that, to go to Kenya and visit a village where World Vision is in full force. And I said yes. I said yes. You know, I went home and told Cindy about this, and, and she's like, what? Why? It's like, why? Don't ask me why. Because. Look, I, I, I'm going to talk more about this in the future because I want you guys to be a part of this adventure with me. But the bottom line for me is this is like a, I feel like God wants me to stretch. And I just have to tell you, like, I had to get the courage to tell you that I want to do this. Because, look, I'm, I'm not afraid of the climb. I'm not afraid of suffering. I'm not afraid. Of, well, I am kind of, you know, I've never been out of the country except Mexico and that mainly to surf. So getting on a plane for 14 hours, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. I'm supposed to do that and then show up and be a Christian? I don't think it's going to happen, folks. <laughs> That's going to be hard. Um, but, you know, it's, none of that is really uh, is what I most fear. You know what I fear? Failing. To, to tell you that I'm going to do this, just like it's making my heart pound right now because I'm afraid I'm telling you, and then in February when I go... I'm going to come back and you go, Britt, how was it climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? Dude, I didn't make it. That's what I'm most afraid of. I stopped at 11,000 feet and just wimped out. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I wish that I had an easier one. But if we're going to be a people and a church that brings hope to the world, it will take getting out of our comfort zone. And I want to talk to you about one that I'm inviting you into. It's called the Matthew 25 Challenge. It's a seven-day unique experience. There's a card underneath your chair that I want to explain, and I want to call you into this. The reason why we're doing this is because Look, when in this Temecula Valley, in our little bubble, it's really hard for us to know what life must be like in another place where there isn't plentiful food or water or education or housing or transportation or safety or insurance or health care. That's hard for us to fathom. And so this Matthew 25 challenge is going to enable us to experience it in the best way that we can here in the Temecula Valley because we need a breakthrough. A lot of us need it. 
I'm going to show you this video, and then I want to circle back around, tell you a little, a few of the details about this. But let's just roll the tape now. Then the king would say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous would answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag reading her Bible. The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day, and sharing it with each other was really exciting. Well, when it came to the Water Day challenge, three words come to mind. Caffeine, withdrawal, headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought. I'd get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought was, this will be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day. So take out this card. I'm going to hit you with a lot of information. We're just going to blow through it, but I just want to touch on it so that you get the big picture. Matthew 25, there are several stories in that chapter, but one of them is about a king who tells his subjects, you know, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me water when I was thirsty. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. And it's obviously a story about people who have pushed God to the far reaches of their actual daily lives and aren't seeing the opportunities that, that are around them to help, to help and bring hope to others. And, G and obviously, Jesus is the one in this story that is the one that's saying, you didn't feed me. You didn't give me water. It's like when you do that, you're doing it. When you do it to the least of these, Jesus said, you're doing it for me. And so to, to get a better picture of these different parts of what life is like in other areas of the world, on Monday, you're going to skip lunch and then have a dinner of rice and beans. And on Tuesday, you're going to only drink water. I know for some of you that's going to be really hard. I know there's water and coffee, but that doesn't count. On Wednesday, you're going to sleep on the floor. And you can just take Motrin on Thursday morning. <laughs> Thursday, you're going to wear the same clothes you wore the day before, which I do all the time. That's not a challenge at all. 
Friday, uh, you're going to reach out to somebody who's going through a difficult time. And then on Saturday, we're going to take a 30-minute prayer walk. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a second. And then on Sunday, we're going to have a giant celebration here. And we're going to be able to, to know what, what we learned from God in that experience. So I want you to take this card and take the challenge and put it on your fridge, wherever is the most prominent place. And then there's another thing I want you to do. It's on the back side of this card. It's to, to become part of the text thread that uh, World Vision is doing in the M25 challenge. If you will take out your phone, and let's, let's just all do this. Come on now. You know some of you have been playing games the whole time on your phone. Get it back out. And you're going to text M25 to 44888. The 44888 goes in the number that you would put in or like the person's name that you would be sending the text to and then put M25 in the space where you would write words and then just hit send. And you're going to get a text back that's going to ask you which week is your starting week, your option A, which is uh, tomorrow, November 12th. And if you do that, and by the way, if someone's struggling next to you, if you're a young person, help that older person next to them that doesn't know that their phone is smart. If they have a little flip phone, well, I don't know what to say. But um, help them out. You know, last week we made 300 shoeboxes disappear. But my dream for this week is 500 of us. I want 500 of us in this program because I think it has the capacity to change us. It's going to change you. It's going to change your family. It's going to change your perspective on the world and your relationship with God. It's going to do everything that I've been talking about. It's going to give you a bigger picture of God. It's going to ignite a longing in you to be a part of what God is doing in the world, and it's going to ask you to step outside of your comfort zone. If you're doing the texts, you're going to get additional information. They're not going to spam you, but they're going to have some stories, and you're going to meet some of the people that World Vision has been helping in, in various parts of the country. So I really, if I could ever ask you to do something... Even if you're not interested, please take a step and do this, okay? Then on Saturday, you saw that we're going to have a prayer walk. And that prayer walk will be here if you want to come to our church campus on Saturday at 8.30. We're going to blast all this on social media and everything. But we recognize that people are busy on Saturday and going different places. If you have time to be here, I'm going to lead a 30-minute prayer walk. We're going to pray for certain things, we'll tell you about that as the week uh, draws closer. But you could pray anywhere, and here's what I want you to do. Put the slide up. We're gonna, we want to create a map of the entire valley from which people prayed. So if you're not going to be here, even if you are, we're going to ask you when you do this because we want to see this map covered with pins. You know what a pin is? That's where you mark your location. If you'll go there and go to this link, and again, we'll, we'll put it out in different ways. You sign into your Google account, which most of you have. You click edit, and then there's a little pin icon. You click on that, and then you can place your pin where you are. If you're at the park, if you're at your house, if you're fishing, if you're hiking, just place that pin wherever you do your prayer walk. You don't have to do it at 830. You can do it anytime. Some of you are doing something really smart. Take a picture of that slide right now, just so you have the information today. And then um, if you want to name where you are, um, you can put your description on it and then save. 
And what that will do is place a pin for every one of us on the map. Can you imagine what that map is going to look like when it's covered with 500 dots, 500 pins of how we covered this valley with prayer? Do you guys want to do that? I think that that's going to be cool. And it's going to be amazing for us. Look, this isn't, it's not just a catchy thing to me. This is an experience. An experience that will raise our vision of who God is. An experience that will create that longing in us. And it will definitely ask you to step outside your comfort zone. I'm going to ask the stagehands to come up here right now and take this couch away from me because it's just too tempting. I don't want to be on this couch. Hey, stagehands, are you back there? Okay, come on up, fellas. Sorry about that. They carried away while I'm talking. I don't even want that thing on my periphery because I don't want to be the guy sitting on the couch because you know what? Nothing great happens there. No greater things happen on the couch. Let's pray.